Luke chapter 1, verses 16, uh, excuse me, 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of, God, the son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. Jeff read our teaching text this morning. You know, we're in the Gospel of Luke, looking at the nativity through his eyes. And Luke didn't begin his gospel once upon a time. Instead, he's writing down a historically accurate account for Theophilus of what went on with Jesus while he was on earth and the church afterward. And last week, we saw hope announced, right, as Gabriel made the announcement to Zechariah that Elizabeth would have a child. And after completing his ministry time there in the service of the temple, Zechariah went home. Not long afterward, Elizabeth conceived. And look in verse 25 of, of, verse 25 of chapter 1. She says, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me and take away my reproach among the people. Her disgrace had been removed. But she hid herself for five months. Think about that. After being childless for so long, I'm sure there was still this hesitation. What if something goes wrong with the pregnancy? And if so, then her disgrace would be greater than it was before. But the Lord was gracious to Elizabeth and Zachariah, allowing them to become pregnant. But the purpose of this happening is beyond Elizabeth's immediate circumstances. The Lord is working toward a greater purpose. Her child would be the one, the herald to announce the coming of the King of Kings. Here in Luke chapter 1, we find a record of two impossible pregnancies. One woman, Elizabeth, was old and beyond her years of childbearing, she thought, yet the Lord gave her a child. And her child was the herald who would announce the coming of the King, the Messiah. He was to prepare the way. In our text today, we see Mary. She's told she too will have a child. This announcement reveals the coming of the Messiah, the King, the Savior. Elizabeth's baby, John, was born to prepare the way. Mary's baby, 
Jesus is the way. John is going to be the herald, though, that prepares the way for Jesus. And, and God had been silenced for 400 years, and Morgan did a great job setting that stage, helping us understand the context of what's happening here. Before God spoke to Zechariah through Gabriel, he had not said a word. But we saw hope announced. Today we'll see hope confirmed. We're going to see a, a gender reveal. This is a gender reveal for the ages. You know, a gender reveals, they're kind of all the rage now. We didn't do any of that. We, actually, we didn't find out the gender of our, any of our kids. It was kind of like wait and see. That was kind of fun. I, I highly recommend that. That's kind of fun. But we do have these gender reveal parties. Uh, Jamie and Rhonda, they had one this last week, right? Rhonda's not pregnant. I'm not Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie's not either, uh, set the record straight. But their, their daughter-in-law and their son are having a, a baby boy. And uh, they had a gender reveal party. And, but we found one online here. Morgan and I, we were working with this, and another friend of mine was working on this, looking at these videos. They're kind of funny. They're, not all of them are appropriate, but this one we're going to show you is. Here's a... Uh, I mean, who wants a sister? You know what I mean? <laughs> who wants a sister? I don't know. <laughs> Here's the main point of our text today. A gender reveal for the ages, right? Here's the main point. Mary is told that she'll bear the Son of God, the Davidic King, the Messiah who will reign forever and forever and forever. That's the main point of our text today. So point number one, we see hope confirmed. We're going to look at the, the specifics about the setting. The specifics about the setting. In the sixth month, the, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Now, Matthew tells his story, his gospel. Uh, he tells Joseph's story. And Luke here is telling Mary's story. Matthew tells the story like a man would tell it. Luke tells things uh, or emphasizes things that a woman would consider important or, or maybe the details your wife would expect you to know. You understand that? My wife does that sometimes. She'll just pop this question just kind of randomly, you know. Do you remember the first place we went on on our first date? You ever get them crazy questions? I mean, how crazy is that? That's like 22 years ago. Do you remember the first time we heard this song? I'm like, I can't tell you any time I've ever heard that song. I don't know what you're talking about. We're eating, um, one time we're eating calamari together. She asked me, she looked at me, you know, just sweetly and said, you remember the first time we ate calamari? I'm like, no, no. If you stuck a gun to my head, I would just, I'd say, pull the trigger. I have no idea. Uh, but that's what women do. Sometimes they want us to know these things. And most time, men, if you're like me, you absolutely, or most of the time, 99% of the time, Jerry and I do not know. Uh, we can't recall those details. But women, they, they like details. So let's notice the details that Luke records here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Notice he, he, he says the angel Gabriel was sent from God. And Morgan mentioned this last week, but, you know, 
sometimes we read the, the, the Gospels, Reese, as we read through the Gospels, we get this idea that, you know, angels were just popping up, talking to people all the time. Like it was just an everyday occurrence. But that's not true. How many of you, how many of you have been visited by an angel? Now, Charles, I could get you to share about your dream, he and Chris Wilkes. We were talking at the men's breakfast sitting there. And I know it's kind of early, you know, but they were just talking about their, their dreams and, and how they, they normally don't remember their dreams. But here recently, they both, had, they both had some pretty crazy dreams. They're really funny. You ought to ask them about it. But we might say, hey, I've been visited by an angel in a dream. But really, have any of us ever been visited by an angel? Has God ever spoke to us through an angel, given us a message from God? Probably not. But not only was this an angel who came and visited Mary, but this is Gabriel. And when you look through the scriptures and you see Gabriel showing up, you know that it's a pretty big deal. Not just a... No, it's, it is a big deal. Gabriel is, is speaking, delivering God's message, and he's delivering it to a place um, that was somewhat obscure. Galilee. Galilee was north of, of Samaria, which was north of Judea. Judea and Jerusalem, you have Samaria, then you have Galilee. It's kind of an obscure place. Why is Luke bringing up Galilee? Well, he's trying to make sure his readers understand where Nazareth is located. If you know the history of that region, during the exile, the Assyrian exile in 722 B.C., most of the Jews living in Galilee, they were moved out and taken back to Assyria into exile. And then non-Jewish residents moved into Galilee. So it's called oftentimes the Galilee of the Gentiles, Matthew chapter 4, verse 13 through 16. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region in shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Galilee is, is mentioned as, or called the Galilee of the Gentiles. And if you read in Scripture, anytime it's, something's mentioned about a Gentile, Gentiles usually think about, you think about a, an unbeliever. They're not God lovers. Judeans typically look down upon Galileans. They were kind of viewed as like the hicks, right? Uneducated and um, have questionable ancestry. And Luke tells us that Mary was in Galilee. She was in a town called Nazareth, and her child will be a Nazarene. And these are some details that you would expect if you're a historian. John chapter 1, verse 46, we see Philip. It's, it's Jesus is beginning his ministry. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said, Come and see, I'll show you. John chapter 7, verse 50 through 52. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And they replied, they rebuked Nicodemus. He's taken up for Jesus, right? He's, he's becoming a follower of Christ. And they replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. To have a... The Christ child, the Messiah, come from Galilee to come from Nazareth, was, this wasn't expected. This is not how they thought it would happen. Jesus was a Galilean from Nazareth, a, a know-nothing town in an obscure place. 
So Luke's giving the details. Gabriel shows up. Speaking to Mary, who's in Galilee and Nazareth of all places. And sometimes we allude to Matthew chapter 2, verse 23. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth that was that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. He was called a Nazarene. But if it's interesting, when you read this text, you say, oh, there's some place in the Old Testament that gives us a, a prophetic word that Jesus is going to be a Nazarene, but you can't find that in the Old Testament. And I think what he's doing here is he's alluding to his um, obscurity, to his shame. He's alluding to how people look down upon Christ because they look down upon people from Galilee and they look down upon people from Nazareth. And so that's what Jesus, how they handled Christ. They looked down upon him. Notice verses 27. He was born to Mary, whose fiancé was a man named Joseph. He was of the house of David. Now, for him to be born and be called a Galilean, for him to be called a Nazarene, that wasn't expected. But this is definitely expected of the Messiah. God had ordained that Jesus was to come through the line of David. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. We also see Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 5. Behold, the days are coming. Declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. So we see these prophetic uh, utterances in the Old Testament of Jesus being of the line of David. So we kind of expect that. And this is a detail that, that Luke gives us. It also tells us that he's, uh, it's in the sixth month. Sixth month of what? Well, it's sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. In the fullness of time, God sent Gabriel to tell Mary that she would give birth to the greatest human of all time. And we've seen evidences of that in the Old Covenant. Genesis 3, 15. The, the serpent is cursed. And he's told that the descendant of Eve would crush his head. We see it again in Genesis chapter 12. God's covenant with Abraham. Through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. So we see a glimpse of this, of, of this hope. But then we see it in more detail here. Hope is confirmed through all these specific details. Not expected to be a Galilean. Not expected to be a Nazarene. Well, he is expected to be of the line of David. Secondly, we see hope confirmed through the specifics about Mary. Scripture says in verse 27 that she was a virgin. Now, the miracle of the virgin birth was not the actual birth part, right? But it's the conception aspect of it. This conception was not only supernatural, but was unique. Think about God. He, he'd already performed supernatural conceptions for other people, for Sarah, for Hannah, people who were barren, for last week, from last week, Elizabeth. But Mary, unlike these other women who conceived and bore children, she was a virgin. The Redeemer would come as the seed of a woman. Isaiah prophesies it. 700 years before this, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, that, that Mary would be a virgin. These details, these specific details, confirm that Christ would be 
the Messiah. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Gabriel tells her in verse 28 that she's favored as the Lord was with her. She was told that she would birth the Son of God, the long-awaited Messiah. She heard that she would bear this child. She understood the meaning of Gabriel's announcement. You're going to be, become pregnant. You're going to bear a son. You're going to call him Jesus because he will be the Savior, the Messiah. And, and Mary's humble and she's thoughtful. Look at verse 34. She mulled that around for a moment. Then she asked a logical question. How will this be since I am a virgin? Literally, her question is, how can this be since I have not had the one experience that results in a woman becoming pregnant? And I don't think Mary was disbelieving. I think she's simply asking a question for clarification. The question is a, a biological one. God, how are you going to do this? And, and unlike Zechariah, Mary believed God would do what he promised. She asked, how will this be, not how can this be? And in verse 35, Gabriel explains, God would come upon her, would overshadow her. This miraculous conception occurred. I don't know if it happened immediately or if it happened later. We're not really sure, but it happened. This one-time event, the virgin birth sets forth the, the truth that Jesus is both human and divine. God became a man. Jesus was born of Mary. He became a human being. If births were like, his birth was like any other human birth through the union of a father and a mother, he could not be divine. Every human father begets a son or daughter with his sin nature. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. Jesus was born of a virgin. He was like us in every way except for sin. So thousands of years of hope were about to be fulfilled in the birth of Christ. But for him to be perfect, for him to be holy, he had to be born of a woman, but she must be a virgin. That's the only way Jesus could be born in flesh without possessing the sinful nature that all men are born with. Look at verse 34 real quickly. Back to Mary's question. She asked, how could this, how could this be? How would this be since I'm a virgin? This is an inquisitiveness, I think, that we all need to have. I mean, think about us. For those of us who are born again, those of us who've repented and trusted Christ, the work he did for us on the cross, you've had this inquisitiveness. I mean, we all have come to a point where we thought, how could God save a sinner like me? How will he do that? Right? How will he do it? Maybe I could question you and ask you, have you pondered that human, your condition, the human condition, and, and God's solution for it? How can it be that God, who's holy, could have a relationship with a sinful, wretched, rebellious person like me? And notice Mary's response in verse 38. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I mean, these are the words that bring God's blessing, right? I mean, this is the way Jesus taught us to pray. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Isn't that awesome? Mary, he, she presents her body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. So we see hope confirmed through the specific 
setting through Mary's response, through Mary's reaction, through the person of Mary. And then we see hope confirmed through the baby Jesus. Verse 31 tells us that the baby will be given a name. It's Jesus, right? It's a common name. It means God saves, Jehovah saves. Matthew 1.21, he adds in his gospel, she'll bear a son and you'll call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. His name indicates his main work. And then we have other descriptions, don't we? Look at verse 32. He'll be great. Why is he great? Because he's the son of the most high. Greater than who? Greater than any human being that's ever walked the planet. Greater than John, even. He's the Savior, but he's also the Son, the one that generations had longed to see. He was about to enter the world as a person. And he's also the Son of David, who have the throne of David. Look at, he's, there in verse 32, there's a fulfillment there of, of the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Verse 12 and 13, when your days are fulfilled, God speaks this to David. And you lie down with your fathers. I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. You think, oh, yeah, he had many sons, right? He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Verse 16, we have that. Your throne shall be established forever. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Jesus, Jesus is going to be the son of David. He's going to take the throne. And he's going to reign forever and forever and forever. All those things signifying that Jesus is the Messiah. The one who created the world was about to humble himself in the form of a man. The creator was about to become dependent upon the creation as a helpless child. This tiny baby that Mary is going to hold is going to be uh, her, her child, but it's also going to be the creator of the world who spoke it all into existence. He's going to hold that child. Notice how this hope was confirmed in the person of Elizabeth. Look at verse 36 and 37. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age also has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. God confirmed that this would happen. He gave Mary a sign. Elizabeth, her aged cousin who was barren, is now carrying a child. God was gracious to Elizabeth, and he's gracious to Mary and she immediately leaves. If you were going and read the next text, she leaves immediately and she finds that Elizabeth is, in fact, pregnant. And Mary had proof that God had worked in Elizabeth's life and gave her confidence to believe that he would work in her own life and think about our own situation. And maybe you're thinking, well, could God do work in me? Could the baby who was born in Bethlehem, who lived a perfect, righteous life, who died a cruel, terrible death for me, the Savior who was buried and on the third day rose from the grave so that sinners like me could be justified, could God really do that for me? Could God really save me and forgive me? Could I, a sinner, a rebellious, wretched person who lies and cheats, and covets 
and lust and steals. Could God really save me and could I be reconciled to him, him who is holy and righteous and perfect? Maybe you're having that question today. Just as Mary, God was gracious to her and gave her this confirmation. What I want you to do if you're sitting here and you're having that question as a lost person who's never repented, can God really, would he accept me? Would he save a wretched sinner like me after all I've done? What I want you to do, look around the room. The Lord today wants to give you confirmation. You're looking around at a room full of wretched adulterers, self-absorbed blasphemers who've been changed by the mercy and power of God. If God can save me and reconcile shame to himself through Christ, God can reconcile you. So what is our application for our text today? It's just that. If you're a lost person, be reconciled to God. Do you have hope? Are you hopeless? Then run to Christ and embrace the Savior who was born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. You know, God is a, a promise keeper. Maybe the second way we can apply this text is to understand and know and remember that God is a promise keeper. You know, Mary should, should have been surprised that she was the one who was chosen to bear the Christ child. She should have been surprised. You know, she shouldn't have said, oh, yeah, of course, I knew this was going to happen to me. No, it's a surprise. Are you sure? What she shouldn't have been surprised about, and I don't think she was surprised about, is that the Savior was coming because God had said it time and time and time again. I'm going to send the Messiah who's going to be the Savior of the world. John chapter 6, verse 37. All that the Father gives me, this is Jesus' words, will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. God is a promise keeper. If you come to him, he won't cast you out. He tells us if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just. He'll forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If you're lost, run to Christ. Repent. Trust the work he did on the cross for you. And be reconciled to the creator of the universe through Christ, his son.